So some of you were around in the 1970s when the United States faced this gas crisis, a gas shortage, where you had to wait in line to get gasoline. I mean, some of you are old enough to remember this, but try to imagine what it would be like if you wanted gas for your lawnmower to just kind of wheel it up to the Gulf Station and wait and hope that when you got to the moment where it was your turn, that there was actually gas for you. And there were times that you would get a full tank, and there were other times it was like one gallon for you. That's all you got. It was rationed. Some of you remember this, but try to imagine what it would be like to be standing in line, waiting, hoping for gasoline. What would it feel like? And then imagine the day that would come that there was plenty of gasoline and you didn't have to wait in line anymore. And you could get as much as you want for like 62 cents a gallon. I mean, that must have been this great, incredible, joyful experience. Imagine not being able to get gas. Or maybe use your imagination for something much more current and something much more grave. You know, right now, there are hundreds of millions of people that have no clean water to drink. I mean, try to imagine not having clean water, so much so that you're forced to drink dirty, disease-infested water so that you could quench your thirst. And there's a guy that comes to faith this church, and he travels through Zambia. He took this picture, and he fixes wells throughout the country so that these individuals can get water. Do you see the joy on their faces? I mean, imagine for a moment you have no clean water, and then the well is fixed. What would you feel like? How would that just start to work in you? How would you not, how could you not rejoice and be full of energy and hope and Man, bubble over with joy. So we're in this series talking about, asking questions about why we do church and what different aspects of church are. Today we're going to tackle the subject of why do we rejoice at church? Why be happy, joyful here? And the answer is kind of simple. If you have no gasoline and you have to wait in line and then there's suddenly lots of gasoline, what would you do? You'd rejoice. If you had no water or no clean water, and suddenly the pump works, what would you do? You would rejoice. If you feel and know you're disconnected from a holy God, if you know in yourself that you are broken and sinful and you are marked by shame, and there's no sense within you that you're connected to Almighty God, When you feel that disconnection, you feel the weight of your sin before God, and someone tells you, God loves you. Someone tells you, Jesus died for you. And you decide to put your trust in Jesus. What is it like when you go from someone who has no hope to someone who has eternal hope in Christ? I mean, what does that do but make you what? Joy. It fills you with joy to the degree that the church of Jesus Christ isn't a place of joy. I mean, the gathering of God's people is meant to be a place where we worship and honor God together, and it should be marked by joy. And I would press on you that if there is a church you know of that is not marked by joy, Jesus isn't there. Because where Jesus is, 
joy is. And if you're a son or daughter of the king and you say you believe in Jesus and you don't have joy, I mean, this is what we're going to talk about today. So turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 12, Romans 12, and we're just going to look at one verse, verse 15. Romans 12, 15, and, and Paul is the author of these words, and he's writing to Christians like you and me. People, he's writing to people in the area of Rome who are just like you and me, who go through the same ups and downs that we face. He's writing to encourage them. One unique aspect of the Christians in Rome is they're being persecuted for following Jesus. And Paul writes to encourage them. And this chapter in Romans 12 is this great hyper-practical advice that he gives the family of God. And he says things at the beginning of Romans 12, like, because God's been so merciful to you, how do you not offer your life as a living sacrifice to Him? Because He brought you into the family of God, He says, renew your mind, renew your actions, your attitudes. They should be different than when you didn't know Him. He says, because you're a part of the family of God, don't think too highly of yourself. Don't think you're the man or you're the woman, but instead go, you know what, I'm going to be sober-minded of who I am, and I'm going to see that all my gifts and talents and resources are for him and for the family. He says to them, be patient when life is hard, because it's going to be hard. He says, be faithful in prayer all the time. He says to them, don't be surprised if you're persecuted, mistreated for the name of Jesus. He gives all these crazy practical truths, statements. I would encourage you, read Romans 12 and ask God's Holy Spirit, if you want to know what it looks like to walk by faith in God and what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus, Romans 12 has all this practical stuff as you read and reread and reread again these truths. But buried in this book is some practical advice. One word, phrase that Paul uses in Romans 12, 15 I want to look at with you. It goes like this. Romans 12, 15 says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. I am so glad this verse is in the Bible defining the family of God. Do you see it? Look at the words. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn, which means that the church is intended by God to be a place where real emotion is experienced. That the real highs of life, the things we rejoice over, and the real lows of life are all experienced in the family. That the church is supposed to be a place where you can be really sad and feel deeply the pain of life, but you can also rejoice and celebrate the good things of life. And there's something unique, though, particularly about the family of God that marks our mourning, our grief, and also our joy. You see, Christ followers mourn over sin and mourn over the brokenness of people. God's family is intended to be a place where we feel the reality of sin where we're not afraid to talk about sin, where we're not going to ignore the topic and the consequences of sin, that all of us are broken, we're messed up, we're train wrecks. 
We rebel against God. His words clearly define how we're supposed to live, and we reject Him. All of us were sinful, and this is intended by God to be a place where we can look at ourselves in the mirror of who we really are, sinful and broken, and not look away, and feel how broken we are. It's also a place where we can talk openly and honestly about the sin of the entire human race, and how because of our sin collectively as a human just as a world, we have inflicted tragedy and suffering and abuse, hurt and harm because of unwise, sinful decisions that the human race has made. People are broken and hurting all around us, and the church isn't going to ignore that. We're going to talk about and understand there is real brokenness in the world, and we're going to feel. This gathering is intended to be a place where you feel the weight of sin, so much so that it's like the weight of grief. It's a mourning because you mourn over things that are dead and dying, and sin is what causes things to dead, be dead and to die. So when you take an honest look at yourself and the sin that you commit by attitude and action, you could weep over it. This is the family. This is what we're intended, like, to be honest about the fact that we're broken, that we disobey and rebel against God, and our decisions to rebel against God have caused all kinds of hurt in the lives of other people when we're honest about that. When it breaks our heart, church is a place of tears and sadness because we're honestly looking at ourselves and humanity and realizing, I can't look away. This is true. This is real. But here's the thing. You don't really understand the joy of gasoline until you don't have any. You don't really understand the joy of not of having water until you don't have any. And you don't honestly understand the joy of Christ until you realize just how busted you are, just how broken You see, we can only rejoice with hope when we have first mourned over our sin, when we first mourned over our brokenness and the brokenness of this world. Those who mourn to sin together also rejoice in Jesus together. It's against the backdrop of crying, weeping, feeling the fact that we're busted. It's against that backdrop that we see the goodness of Christ, and He comes rushing into our lives, and He can fix us, and He can help us, and we begin to rejoice. I love what Paul says in Colossians 1.13. I dropped it in your app this week. Colossians 1.13 says, For God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. God has rescued us from the dominion of darkness, this sin and shame. He's rescued us from that and brought us into the kingdom of the Son He loves and where we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. This is incredible. Rescued from darkness, brought into a new kingdom. We were once far from God, now we can come close to God. We were once enemies of God because of our sin, but now in Christ we're called friends. We were once rejected and our eternal destiny was condemned, and now in Christ we're sons and daughters with an eternal destiny that will last forever. We were once walking alone in fear, and now we can walk with God in His Holy Spirit by faith. 
We were once ashamed about all the things we've done wrong, and now we know there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We were once scared of doing one little thing bad, and God's going to strike us with lightning, and now we know nothing can separate us from His love, even my stupid decisions. We were once wondering, what's going to happen when I take my last breath? Where will I go? What will occur? Now in Christ, I can be confident that when I take my last breath, I'll be ushered into the presence of God with eternal pleasures at His right hand forevermore. I mean, if you know these truths, then how can you not rejoice? No matter what the circumstances are, it doesn't mean everything's going to be easy. It doesn't mean life is going to go smoothly. You just know that if God is for you, who or what can be against you? And that's why the church rejoices. You see, when you don't have gasoline and you don't have clean water, when you get gasoline and clean water, you rejoice. How much greater is that true when you know you have no hope apart from Christ and then you get hope with Christ? How can you not rejoice? I have a friend that attends church here and he loves to yell hallelujah in the middle of a worship service. And I'm like, dude, what gives? And he's like, I can't help it because he's so grateful for all that Jesus has done for him. How about you? I'm talking to you if you come to church here and you would label yourself a Christ follower. You would say, I'm a son or daughter of the living God. Is your life marked by joy? Or is it marked by bitterness, pessimism, gossip, slander? Oh, woe is me. Life is so hard. Moaning and groaning all the time. Or do you, can you see past that? You see, if you don't experience joy and can't see beyond your current circumstances to something far greater, I would encourage you, take an inventory of your life. Where would you be today without Jesus? Where would you be? Because when you look at that in the mirror, in the truth of your sin and your brokenness, and you look at King Jesus, how can that not produce joy in you to the extent you don't have joy? Maybe it's time to turn your heart back over to Jesus. Yield again to Him. Surrender to Him. Maybe you've never asked Him into your heart, and you've never welcomed Him. Maybe today you should do that because He can give you joy. And it's why in our service today... We're celebrating baptism. In a moment, some people are going to go under the water and be dunked. Why would they do that? There's nothing miraculous about the water. They're declaring publicly that they believe in Jesus. They put their trust in Jesus. They want you to know they belong to Jesus. They want you to know they belong to this family. It's their public entrance into the family, which means we better yell and scream and clap. It's super fun but it also should remind you of where you would be. Where would your life be going? What would your eternal destiny be if God didn't interrupt your life, grab a hold of you, rescue you from the dominion of darkness, and give you light and love? So it should cause us to be reminded of all that Christ has done for us. That's why we celebrate. Would you pray with me? God, thank you for loving us so much to give us Christ. We are rebels. We don't deserve anything. You love us too much to leave us in a heap. You sent your one and only Son to rescue us, and now mark our lives with joy. When the world sees us, help 
people around us in our workplace and neighborhood and family to see love and to see joy. Oh, how magnetic is love. How magnetic is joy. Mark your children, sons and daughters, with love and joy because the world will then know you are alive and real. God, help each person in this place to take an inventory of their lives, to be honest about sin and rebellion, disobedience. Help us to confess that to you, knowing you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to clean us up. We're so grateful for your love and patience. Work in us, I pray today, through Christ our Lord. Amen.